So the reading tonight is Luke chapter 6, verses 37 to 49. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man uh, brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks of what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. This is God's word. Evening, everybody. My name is Phil. I'm the associate vicar here, and it's lovely to have you with us. We've got a serious passage to look at, so I'm going to pray, and then we'll turn to it together. Father God, only you know the state of our hearts tonight. But we pray that by your Spirit, you might give us honesty, and that you might give us genuine insight so that we would know where we stand And most of all, we pray that you would give us a trusting faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might be eternally secure. Amen. The heart of the Christian faith is not a ladder, but a cross. It's not a ladder of rules that you climb up to get to God, and you achieve it with your wonderful life. It's a cross. In other words... God has done everything necessary for our salvation. We saw that again and again when we looked at Galatians um, a year or two ago. But, but how you live work, it matters. It doesn't earn your salvation how you live, but it matters because it proves whether you really trust in Jesus. How you live doesn't earn your way into heaven. It's not a ladder you climb up. But it does demonstrate whether you really trust in the cross of Jesus Christ. The thing is, though, uh, London life is rather busy and distracting. And many of you will know uh, I'm one of the weird 0.1% who don't ever get this experience that uh, the pounds can just pack on without you ever noticing. 
I find not even the ounces pack on. This is me after working out for years. But most of us, we know that experience. You just, you know, you're just busy, distracted, uh, busy at work, don't go to the gym, busy at the weekend, and oh, you know, before you know it, uh, the milkshakes and the uh, and the rather nice croissants add up, and and it's only when you put on a pair of tight jeans that ooh, I've put on rather more than I realised, and you find ooh, I've packed on the pounds and I had no idea. And the same is true spiritually. Life in London is busy and we go from one week to the next. And, and if I'm really going to follow Jesus, it does mean going against the tide, swimming against the crowd. And, and it's very easy just to sort of drift and end up being just like everybody else. And, and you don't realize how far you've gone. And then you get passages like tonight, which is the Bible's equivalent of a tight pair of jeans. <laughs> That's what this is. Luke 6 is a tight pair of jeans. And it, ooh, Oh, okay, I'm a little bit more spiritually flabby than I realized. But it's a kindness of God that he's given us a tight pair of jeans tonight because it gives us a chance to examine ourselves and to see where do I really stand before God. And that matters. It really matters because the final thing that Jesus says in Luke 6 is that there is a storm coming that none of us can escape And there is only one way to be safe. And that's in Jesus. It really matters that we examine ourselves. So we're going to do that. We're going to allow God's word, God's spirit to shine into our hearts. I hope you're open to God tonight. Right, uh, you've got the points on the back of your sheets. Do keep Luke 6 open and let's dive in. Don't judge others, but do examine yourselves. Verse 37, do not judge Thou shalt not judge me. It's the great mantra of our age. You mustn't judge. Whatever you do, don't judge. Except we spend our entire lives judging each other and, and seeking judgment, affirmation. You know, swipe left or right. Click like or angry face. Retweet or delete. Every task at work has to be reviewed. Every year there's the annual appraisal. How wonderful that is. Every purchase you make, you have to review online. We get pestering emails. It seems, when you look at TripAdvisor, it seems that some people spend literally every waking hour of their summer holiday evaluating their experience of every detail of the holiday. They think, just get out and enjoy yourself. Life is short. But anyway, we're always judging. We're always evaluating. And actually, we're always seeking evaluation from others. And in this section, Jesus gives us clarity and sanity on how to... Make wise discerning judgments without being judgmental. He's concluding his revolutionary manifesto. Uh, the, The standards, the ethics of the kingdom of God, not an entry exam earning your way in, but membership rules for those who have been saved by Jesus Christ. And this first section about not judging, in one sense it flows out of what we saw last week, loving your enemies, this radically new standard. But it also tees up the conclusion as he tells us, stop judging other people. But oh, you do need to be very, very careful and very discerning when it comes to your own heart. So verse 37. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There is probably nothing Jesus says that fits our cultural moment more than this. Do not judge. 
But Jesus is not endorsing a sort of relativistic idea that anything goes. Do what you like. No one can judge me. Actually, no one really thinks that's right. None of us really think it's, it's always wrong to judge. You just beat an old lady to death to steal her pension money. Hey, who am I to judge? Oh, you're, you're cheating on your wife and you've neglected your family and they're now starving. Oh, you wouldn't get me condemning you. No, I'm not judgmental. What is Jesus actually teaching then? Well, what he's warning is that you cannot receive forgiveness and acceptance as a free gift from God. You can't experience God withholding his judgment from you and then go about condemning and refusing to forgive others when they wrong you. If you really receive forgiveness from God as a free gift, then it really changes how you treat those who wrong you. We thought about that last week. And in that sense, in that sense, God will treat us as we treat others. Because when you've received God's forgiveness, it changes how you treat other people. It unlocks a power to forgive that none of us realize could ever be there. And so the truth is, God will treat us as we treat others. Because how we treat others demonstrates whether we've really been forgiven by God. And let me just say to the Christians in this room, there is nothing... And I mean nothing that could be less appropriate for a forgiven child of God than to have a proud, judgmental, condemning spirit. Think of how God has treated you and me. But while we should be slow to judge others, Jesus encourages us to be very ready to judge ourselves, as we'll see. So, a number of things that he tells us to do. Choose carefully whom you follow, correct humbly when you see faults, and concentrate on fruit when you assess the heart. Firstly, choose carefully whom you follow. So Jesus isn't saying don't make any judgments, quite the opposite. He says, look, be very discerning, verse 39. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. He says, look, if you listen to a particular teacher, if you read their books, watch their sermons, follow their blogs, you will be shaped by them you will start to to copy how they encourage you to live. That's not just true of Christian things. It's just a life lesson. You're shaped by the people you admire, you look up to, you follow. So be careful who you follow. That's different from being judgmental and arrogant. But it does call you to make a judgment. So look, be careful. Ask yourself, do I really want this person... To, to shape my life. Don't be naive. Not everybody who promotes themselves as a Christian teacher and waves a Bible around teaches what it actually says. There's a guy um, who used to be able to attend here, uh, a vulnerable um, elderly chap called Trevor, who had all sorts of um, uh, difficulties that meant that after a while, uh, physically, he wasn't able to keep coming along. And so a number of people would, uh, would go and visit him regularly down uh, where he lived in South Ken. And... And almost always when you arrive, Trevor would have uh, the God Channel on television. Now, there's some good stuff on that, but an awful lot of it was just prosperity gospel. Nonsense. If you have enough faith, God will give you all the money you want and all the people scream amen. If you believe, you will receive and you will be healthy. And poor Trevor sat in his sheltered accommodation with his significant physical problems. And every time I'd go to see him, he'd say, 
Am I a bad Christian, Phil? Does God not love me? Those teachers were shaping him. And it was destructive. It was destroying his confidence that God was good and that God loved him. And that he was a genuine Christian. So be careful what you read and watch. Popularity is not a good indicator of spiritual health. Hey, it's a bestseller in the Christian bookshops. Jesus was put to death by a democratic decision of the populace. The majority is not always wise or right. Make sure their teaching fits with the Bible. But of course, there's a much nastier sting in the tail too when you think about it. Just as we follow others, so in our own little ways, all of us also influence others, whether it's a younger sibling or a group of friends or a junior at work. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, the Bible's answer is yes, you are. So ask yourself, what impact do I have on the few who are influenced by me? Now, I may not be leading them uh, by teaching them untruths about the Bible, but what pattern of life is rubbing off me onto them? What if others are being shaped by my cruel humor or my cliquey selfishness or my gossip or my lax attitude to drink? or my laziness at work. It is tragic to follow a blind guide and to fall into their pit. But it's beyond tragic to be a blind guide who leads other people into the pit. So Jesus says, choose carefully who you follow and choose carefully how you lead. Secondly, correct humbly when you see faults. Now this is one of Jesus' most famous parables. Verse 41, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It is just a ridiculous image Jesus the carpenter gives us. A guy wandering around with a lump of four by two sticking out of his eye. It's just crazy. But as, as so often, we misread this parable. Uh, in particular, we miss out the last phrase. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The point is not of this parable, never ever point out the faults of others. No, actually all of us at different times, we need a prod from a sharp pointy stick wielded by a loving friend. All of us, all of us need that at times. His point is, don't be a hypocrite, verse 42. Don't be a hypocrite. We'll never serve each other properly unless we recognize I am not perfect. And neither are you. We're all sinners. I need correction. I make mistakes. Sometimes because I'm foolish and sometimes because I know what the right thing is to, to do is and I just don't care. I want to do what's wrong. All of us are like that at different times and in different ways. And all of us, therefore, need other people to point out our faults because I'm often blind to my faults. And church should be a community where we care enough to give gentle encouragement and we care enough to give sharp prods and we love enough to know what people need. That's true, meaningful community. But we'll only be a healthy community if each of us is far more aware of my sin than of your sin. And there is no accident either in the proportions in the story. 
A good rule of thumb when we're seeking to correct somebody, when you think you need to correct somebody, is you are likely to have a plank for every speck they have. And if we all have that attitude, we'll be a much happier community. Think that way, and we won't go far wrong. Thirdly, concentrate on fruit when you assess the heart. Verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. How can you tell if a tree is an apple tree? Because it produces apples. How can you tell if a weekend is a bank holiday? Because it's 10 degrees colder than the weekend before and it's raining. It's, you just kind of, you know by what it is. How can you tell if someone's a Christian? How can you tell if someone's a follower of Jesus? Uh, lots of people think the answer is something like nationality. You're kind of born into being a follower of Jesus. It doesn't make much difference day to day, but it's part of who you are. If you're born in Britain or Ghana or a whole heap of other places, well, then you're, you're a Christian. Others would say it's, it's more like becoming a citizen. It's a ritual, a ceremony you go through, like baptism. And da-da, you're a Christian. And Jesus says, eh-eh, to both options in this passage. Instead, he says, look, spotting a Christian is like spotting an apple tree. You look for the fruit. You look for the fruit. Even to urbanites like us, the imagery is pretty clear. The fruit matches the tree. Hence, you don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Okay, so what is the fruit that you look for that tells somebody's a Christian? You don't have like apples hanging off your fingers when you put your trust in Jesus. Well, he says, verse 45, it's life and it's lips. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Life and lips. You can tell from the way that someone behaves and the way that they speak. I don't mean that uh, you need to have received pronunciation to get into heaven. It's, it's not like that. It's, it's saying, look, the stuff that's in your heart bubbles out of your mouth. What you say is a pretty good indication of what's going on in here. Now, the passage is not saying Christians are perfect. We confess our sins every week as a church. It's printed in the sheets every week because the Bible is abundantly clear that those who follow Jesus continue to sin. Uh, 1 John 1.9 says this about Christians. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But Jesus' point is this. Although we won't be perfect in this life, if we follow Jesus, there ought to be a kind of Jesus-ness about us. What's the typical fruit of our life? A couple of years back, uh, there was a, a work of art displayed at the uh, Cutting Edge Eye Storm Gallery in London. Nobody here works there, do they? Good. Uh, and um, it was thrown out by a cleaner. It comprised old coffee cups, empty paint tins, and general rubbish. And the cleaner responsible named Emmanuel was interviewed by a journalist, and he said, when I saw it, I sighed and thought, what a mess. I didn't for a second think it was a work of art. It didn't look much like art to me, so I got a load of bin bags and dumped it out the back. 
Now, I'm a Philistine, and I enjoyed this enormously. Uh, and you are very welcome to educate me about modern art afterwards. But the way that I tend to think about some, some, some modern art, and the way Jesus speaks about some people who call themselves Christians, is rather similar. He's saying, look, the artists can bleat all they want about, look, I've been to art college. I made it in an art studio. And it really is art. And if you weren't such a Philistine, you'd realize it's a provocative statement about the intransigent negotiation disaster being conducted at the moment by the British government and the European Commission. If only you had eyes to see. But look, if I and nobody, if nobody else can see anything but a pile of rubbish, if nobody can see anything but a pile of rubbish, it's hard to see how it really is art. And I can claim all I like. I'm a Christian. I was baptized. I, I wear a cross around my neck. I go to church fairly regularly. But if when people look on at my life, they can't see anything different. If I treat people who hurt me the same way as everybody else. If the desires and the dreams that drive my life are just the same as everybody else. If I'm not passionate about any of the things Jesus is passionate about. In other words, if my life and my speech haven't been changed at all by Jesus, well, it's pretty difficult for me to claim, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. Well, it doesn't look like it. And it may be that the truth is, no one's ever really explained to me the gospel the message at the heart of Christianity. And I've never really understood what it is to find God has come and died for me. And it's never been more than a ritual. And so Jesus says, examine yourselves. And why that is such a very important issue emerges in the last little section. For Jesus tells us a storm is coming, no one will escape, and only real faith in the real Jesus can save you. Only real faith in Jesus can save you from the storm. Verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. If you not only hear Jesus' words, but you live by them, that's like being a building on solid rock foundations that can withstand the storm. Now, there is a, a this-life sense and an ultimate sense to what he's talking about. Let me explain. First, trust in Jesus is a solid foundation for the storms of this life. Christianity is grounded in truth. The historical fact of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if you ignore the sound bites from the celebrity atheists and do some proper research, you'll find the Gospels are reliable eyewitness testimony. And when the storms of internal doubt or, or the latest popular book attacking the reliability of the Bible blow through, you'll find the integrity and the trustworthiness of the Bible, of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. They stand firm, as they have done for 2,000 years, as all the siege guns of secular 
society have been relentlessly pounding away, and yet the foundation stands firm. And because the Bible is true, it also works. Jesus works because he's true. So when the storms of bereavement and illness and financial worries and broken relationships come, when, when it's the storms not of uh, attacks on the intellectual integrity of our, our faith, but when the storms of, of life that you live, of experience, come in, well then too, what Jesus says, it stands, it works. You can live it in all the ups and downs of life. But the primary storm Jesus is talking about is not the stuff that happens to us in this life. It's far more serious than anything that rocks us now. See, ever since Genesis 6 and God devastating the world with a destructive flood because of human wickedness, ever since that day, flood in the Bible has been an image of God's almighty unstoppable judgment. And the Bible is clear that God is good and loving and kind and perfect and upright and just. And because of those things, he cannot tolerate wickedness. And one day his judgment will come. And it will be as irresistible as a tsunami. So why is it that those who trust in Jesus are standing on solid ground but other people are swept away? It's not that uh, Christians are much better people and so they make it through God's judgments. It's not that God shows favoritism. The answer is very, very simple. Three years after Jesus spoke these words, he walked into Jerusalem to be rejected, condemned, and nailed to a cross. Not as a tragic failure, but as a perfect sacrifice. He died on the cross to suffer the storm of God's judgment upon himself. And now all who trust in him shelter behind him. He has absorbed the storm for us. And so if we trust in him, then we stand on his solid ground. And I would be woefully, woefully failing you if I didn't ask each one of you tonight, what are you trusting in as you face the storm of God's eternal judgment? Please don't think that you're strong enough to stand yourself. Those terrible pictures of that hurricane that swept through the Caribbean. And those who thought they could just tough it out in their houses were swept away. Don't think that you can tough out God's judgment by your good works. Nobody can. And I'm not aware of anybody else in all of human history who has died to pay for your sins. Only one man, Jesus Christ. But if you put your trust in him, then you are safe. Everything has been paid. Everything has been taken. And you stand on solid ground. Now, Jesus says here that there are three groups of people. And I want us to examine ourselves so we know where we stand. First, there are those who come to him and obey him, verse 47. They are safe from the storm of judgment. They are those uh, who put his words into practice. 
Then there are those who ignore Jesus' words, verse 49. And so they face God's justice and they're swept away to eternal death. But do you see in verse 46 that there was a third group? Actually, they're really part of the second group, the group who ignore Jesus. But in verse 46, there is this group who call Jesus Lord, Lord, but don't do what he says. They sat in church, they sang the songs, and they assumed they'd be fine, but they never really trusted in Jesus Christ. How can you tell that? Because they did not put his words into practice, verse 49. Now, these are sobering words for you and for me. Jesus is saying, it's real trust in the real Jesus is the only way to be safe. And the only way to know whether I've got real trust in Jesus is, do I do what he says? Because there will be those who come judgment day, well, it will be seen that whenever push came to shove in their life, whenever it was costly or inconvenient to follow Jesus, to put his words into practice, they followed their heart rather than their Lord. And it will be exposed that they never truly trusted him. Let me make this very clear. We are not saved by doing good stuff, by putting Jesus' words into practice. He alone saves by dying for us. But how I live day to day demonstrates, proves to me whether I really trust in him. And that's why we're so often full of doubts when we're pursuing sin. We lose any assurance. Oh gosh, am I really a Christian when we're pursuing sin? How I live day to day proves whether I trust in Jesus Christ. Only God knows whether I really do. But only a real faith in the real Jesus saves from the reality of God's judgment. Now, I'm always aware when you say things like this, there'll be some of us who have very sensitive consciences. And as soon as we hear words like that, we think, that's me, I'm not a real Christian, I'm terrible, I'm terrible. And this is where we need friends. Do you notice that throughout this, uh, the, the passage, we're, we're told of the need for others. He assumes we'll be part of a community that's picking specks out of one another's eyes and helping one another. So please don't walk out of here assuming you're not a Christian. Please talk to friends. Talk with one another. Pray with one another. Some of us have got very sensitive consciences and we need friends to say, Well, if you're out, I'm stuffed as well. (laughs) I know you trust in Jesus. None of us are perfect. And we pray for one another and we rejoice that Jesus saves. Others of us, though, others of us have got pretty good at hardening our consciences. And it may be that tonight we need the sharp prod from a pointy stick wielded by a loving friend who doesn't want us to end up swept away in God's judgment. But we rarely take stock to think. London is just relentlessly busy. Very little space. And tonight we would be wise to weigh up Jesus' words carefully because the greatest moral teacher the world has known, unquestionably the most loving man ever to walk this earth, says there is a storm coming. And the only way to be safe is to trust in him. In a few minutes, uh, we'll sing. If you look inside your server sheets, um, 
My hope is built on nothing less. Christ alone, cornerstone. It's easy to sing that we would build our lives on Christ alone, that we would trust in nothing but his blood and righteousness. It's easy to sing on a Sunday night. But to see Christ as my cornerstone, to be built on him, means more than I want to praise you now, I want to sing to you in church on Sunday. It also means I want to obey you tomorrow on Monday. I want to decide to honor you when it costs. I want to live for you every day. Not perfectly, none of us will achieve that. But genuinely. God's not looking for perfection in us. That will be given to us in eternity. But sincerity and integrity, a desire not just to be saved by Jesus, but to live for him, to be changed by him. And so I would encourage you as we share the Lord's Supper tonight to examine yourself and to pray. Who do you trust in the face of God's storm? Trust in Jesus and you need not be afraid. Trust in Jesus and you know you'll be safe. Let me pray. Our Father God, you alone know the state of our souls tonight. And so I pray that as we, as we sit and think, as we share the Lord's Supper, that those of us with very sensitive, oversensitive consciences might not be troubled. But I pray too that those of us who are hardened, who are pursuing sin, might be challenged and unsettled by you. And lastly, Father, I pray for those amongst us who have never yet put our trust in the Lord Jesus. Might tonight be the moment when we do so. Might we recognize, not that Jesus died for sinners, but that Jesus died for me, a sinner. That he has taken my judgment and he has given me eternal life. Lord, give us faith to do that, we pray. Amen.